Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. In his 43rd year in power, the Islamic revolutionary regime in Tehran had only two supreme leaders, Zayatollahs Khomeini and Khamenei. They have both faced a similar dilemma, reconciling the top priority of survival for their structures built in order to control the country with their aspirations to export that version of Shiite revolution to all corners of the greater Middle East and beyond. The essence of this dilemma is the fate of the Iranian nuclear project. It was designed to give the outward push of the revolution an umbrella, but insisting on it endangers the very existence of this regime while freezing it in an agreement would enable Hamina'i and the Revolutionary Guards Corps to fund their aggressive activities. What are the Iranians about to choose? Joining us to deliberate this question from Madrid, Spain, is Dr. Rafael Bardaji, who is the CEO of Worldwide Strategy and a former Spanish National Security Advisor. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from Central Israel's Brigadier General in Reserve, Yossi Kupil-Vasser, who is the Project Director on Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us as well, General. Thank you. And with me here in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir. Oren, Amir, give us a broader understanding. What is the current state of play vis-a-vis Iran's nuclear aspirations versus its expansionist policies? So the dilemma facing the uh, Iranian regime has been facing it uh, for the last decade or so is that they cannot have both if they want to keep their nuclear project. And uh, it is not uh, even... Uh, a valid assumption that they could do it because other forces may uh, intervene and take it down, they cannot have uh, their other activities and vice versa. So this was the gist of the uh, JCPOA, uh, which was reached um, in uh, 2015. Now they are facing the same dilemma again, and it seems as if this is bazaar time. They are trying to squeeze the very last concessions out of the United States because they see that President Biden is quite eager to get an agreement that uh, he has already exposed his bargaining uh, position. They, too, seem to want an agreement, but they want to get the maximum price for it so that they will have um, room for maneuver in the Middle East, when they export their revolution, when they uh, operate through proxies, and when they have um, the maximum funding which they can get once the sanctions are lifted. So because of the uh, war in the Ukraine, all of uh, the uh, Vienna talks uh, seem uh, to be on hold. But obviously, behind the scenes, there are negotiations uh, going on, and we are almost uh, down to the wire. Indeed. Well, uh, this, of course, has to do also with the fact that all the points of contention at this point have nothing to do with uh, the nuclear components of the deal. They're not related to this nuclear deal. It's more specifically about the Ayatollah regime demanding from the United States as a prerequisite to remove the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps from 
the State Department's list of designated terror, foreign terrorist organizations. General Kupelwasser, I'd like to hear your position on this. Where do the Americans stand at this stage, considering the fact that, quite frankly, from the get-go, they have been quite vocal and quite resolved, at least declaratively so, about lengthening and strengthening the deal and that the non-nuclear components of uh, this agreement will not be touched, uh, including the sanctions on the RGC. Is this something that we could take their, the current American administration uh, seriously about, or are we expected uh, this to, to go southward with regard to America? quite frankly, again, uh, succumbing to Iranian demands? Well, I think, you know, in, in every negotiation, there's a, this uh, last hurdle that has to be overcome. And uh, sometimes if you are smart enough, you give up on uh, insisting on the last hurdle and uh, take most of what you want. And uh, unfortunately, the situation right now is that the Iranians were uh, under the assumption that, working under the assumption that the Americans are so eager to get the deal that they can get everything they want, including crossing the last hurdle, which is the uh, Revolutionary Guard taking them off the list uh, foreign terrorist organizations. And uh, this creates problems for the American administration, both with the regional powers, including Israel, and with Congress, uh, because even some Democrats are very unhappy about the idea that uh, the IRGC will be taken off the list. And uh, so we shall have to see this uh, maneuvering at, at, around the last uh, topic that has remained uh, unsolved. I think that uh, from, an, uh, from an Iranian point of view, they don't see really a tension here because they can very easily uh, give up on this last hurdle and get everything. They get the ability to spread the, their um, uh, version of Islam in the Middle East and maybe beyond because they're going to get a lot of money. And they guarantee their way towards having a uh, uh, big arsenal of nuclear weapons in, in less than nine years, which is uh, uh, promised to them if they return to the JCPOA. So there's not such tension if they join the deal. And, if, and what they do right now is putting pressure on the Americans to give them in everything, including the IRGC, uh, by uh, pointing to the Americans that if they don't do that, they can get to at least one to four bombs or at least one to four uh, enough fissile material for four bombs uh, in a very short period of time. And uh, since the Americans don't want to confront Iran, uh, definitely not militarily, uh, they have to give up. Otherwise, they will end up uh, in a position where they have to do something, you know, to prevent Iran from having nuclear weapons that they claim they do, they are committed to. So this is where the, the Iranian game is. They're trying to put pressure. And look, they've already uh, produced enough uh, highly enriched uranium and medium level enriched uranium for, for to have enough um, fissile material for four bombs within four months. Uh, for the net first two bombs, they can, they can get enough, enough uh, fissile material within five weeks, uh, maybe even less. Uh, so this is where we stand right now, and this is putting a lot of pressure on the American administration, who is really risk-averse and don't want to end in any eventuality to end up in a position where they have to confront Iran. That's that's where the two sides stand right now, in my mind. Dr. Bardahi, your take on this? Well, <clears throat> what I'm hearing from Washington, actually, is two different things. Uh, one is that uh, a school of thought saying uh, the, the, the Iranian nuclear program is a, 
is advancing and the nuclear bomb in the Iran's hands is unavoidable. That's one thing. The second thing is also related to that, saying, okay, but as a nuclear power, Iran will moderate itself because we can enter into a mutual assured destruction relationship. Okay, how you say that? If we look what is happening in Europe, in Ukraine, with the invasion of Russia, and the Russian uh, nuclear threat to NATO, and the react and the way NATO has backpedaling since the the nuclear weapons were mentioned by by the Kremlin, I think we need to recapitulate in how important and how aggressive our power will be with a with a nuclear capability. You know? So I'm very concerned for those who in the American administration doesn't perceive the real danger of a new nuclear power in the world, particularly when it's Iran, when we are talking about. Indeed. Mr. Owen, however, uh, the Biden administration, at least declaratively so, uh, asserted that it will not allow Iran to attain uh, enough feasible material to uh, develop one nuclear payload. Uh, with that being said, uh, we do see indeed that the, the uh, statements are one thing and what they actually do is another. Is this something that Israel is willing to contend with, uh, especially considering the fact that, uh, according to reports, Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken, while visiting Israel uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, mentioned uh, in talks with Prime Minister Naftali Bennett that uh, uh, the United States would like to hear more about uh, the so-called Plan B and, and what Israel suggests. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, about the delisting of the IRGC. So this uh, uh, started three years ago in 2019 under President Trump. Uh, for uh, the preceding uh, decades, uh, even though the uh, Revolutionary Guards and especially the Quds Force uh, were the uh, prime um, perpetrators against American uh, forces and citizens, uh, it was not uh, considered necessary to have them uh, listed as uh, a terrorist organization because they are part of a state. All the other organizations are groups um, which are not affiliated with any government. And once uh, the IRGC uh, were put on this list, Iran retaliated by saying that CENTCOM, the Central Command, is now a terrorist organization and they will act against it. On the ground, it did not uh, change anything. The uh, assassination of Qassam Soleimani had nothing to do with the fact that he was or was not on any list, um, much like uh, Imad Murnia 12 years earlier. Uh, was uh, taken out uh, regardless of his uh, status. And by the way, um, Israel has a similar list. And for the last 10 years, only the Quds Force uh, has been on it. And the IRGC in general is not. Even as Israel um, keeps demanding that the U.S. not delist it, it um, uh, saw no reason uh, to list it. How can you explain that? Well, maybe uh, it's uh, just um, a, an administrative uh, overlook, but uh, in any event, there is an interesting um, play here between the United States and Israel. It is very convenient for the United States that Israel indicates, and more than indicates, even uh, threatens to hit Iran if it tries to, to get to a threshold 
status. Uh, uh, of course, uh, more than that uh, will trigger uh, an Israeli attack immediately. The United States, as uh, a signatory to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, is barred from threatening a non-nuclear weapon state. The United States is, of course, a declared weapon state. And one of the provisions of the NPT is that such a state cannot threaten and, of course, cannot attack uh, a non-nuclear weapon state. Israel is not a party to that treaty. Israel can uh, do what it wants, of course, with American-supplied weapons. And if the Americans do not come out and say, listen, we are not going to allow Israel to do it, then the implication is that it will be done with American blessing. And just as a reminder, in 1991, when Saddam Hussein started launching his scuds at Israel, Defense Secretary Cheney was asked uh, what uh, the United States will do if Israel responds in kind, if, if uh, Saddam uses WMD. And he uh, gave his blessing to it. He said that, uh, yes, Saddam should consider it uh, because Israel may very well do it. Well, the uh, situation between Russia and Ukraine, of course, indicates that it doesn't matter what international law dictates with regard to nuclear weapon states or not. Uh, if a no, country no, that, well, of nuclear stature has the capacity to attack, it will attack. Well, Putin, Putin uh, was uh, cautious enough just to raise the alert status of his nuclear forces. Of course, everyone understood the signal, but he did not threaten Ukraine with um, chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons. This was the interpretation of foreign governments. May Indeed. have been the right one. Well, uh, General Kupilvasil, uh, to what degree do you think, or at least from uh, your experience, as you have, uh, of course, uh, represented Israel on numerous uh, occasions with regard to uh, the nuclear talks uh, pre 2015, uh, is the United States at this stage with the same actors currently within the Biden administration uh, acting also back in 2015 as part of the Obama administration tentative to the concerns of Israel and other partner states here in the region? So the Americans are, of course, aware of our concerns because we raised it with them so many times. But that doesn't mean that uh, they are going to uh, really take care of uh, our concerns because as we see, the Americans are saying that they are going to uh, make sure that the Iranians don't, don't have nuclear weapons. But in fact, they, they just cannot make it happen. Because in nine years, when uh, this agreement comes to, uh, to its end, the Iranians are going to have enough fissile material to produce a big arsenal of nuclear weapons, maybe 100 nuclear weapons, because there's no limit on the amount. And they are going to control already the technologies needed in order to turn this fissile material into a weapon. And what the Americans are going to do? It's, uh, it's going to uh, un impossible for them to, uh, to stop this from happening. More than that, the Americans ignore the fact that what's going to happen in the meanwhile is that with all the money the Iranians are going to get from uh, the unfreezing of their uh, assets and from the income of oil that they are going to export, they will be able to spread their hegemony in the Middle East uh, without waiting for having the nuclear weapons. It's going to be done based on the money that they are going to supply better weapons and more weapons to their proxies in Yemen and in uh, uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon and, and elsewhere. And this is going to happen without, even before they have nuclear weapons. And the last thing that they ignore our concerns is that by being able to force on the Americans their will, 
they're going to tell everybody they won the war against the Americans, and, this, and everybody will take it very seriously. And uh, this is going to have a very negative impact for the United States in the region. And it's coming in a time when the Americans are leaving the, United, the Middle East anyhow and minimizing their involvement and the readiness to, to use their capabilities in order to bring about uh, situations that is in line with what we want them to do. Uh, so we have a very big problem with the, with the U.S. administration at, at this point, unfortunately. Indeed, Dr. Bardahi, we have multiple times uh, communicated about lack of political will in the West to deal with uh, multiple challenges, one of them being obviously the Islamic Republic of Iran. How do you see this also within European capitals, considering the fact that uh, Iran is expanding the capacity of its ballistic missile uh, capabilities also to be able to reach European soil, of continental Europe at least. Is this something on, on the agenda within European capitals, considering the fact that also uh, we have the E3, Germany, France, and Britain partake within uh, the context of the ne nuclear negotiations with the Iranians? Well, without being cynical, I have to say that governments usually are only able to deal with one problem at a time. So now all the attention is focused on, on Ukraine and on Russia for obvious reasons. But again, as I said before, the, the, the mention to put in alert the nuclear forces, the strategic nuclear forces of, the, of Russia has been powerful enough as a signal and messaging that I think all Europeans are now rethinking what nuclear weapons means. You know, we were living in a post-nuclear world, in a post-war uh, war as well. And now everything has evaporated rapidly because of the invasion of Ukraine. So I think that some people in the capital, particularly the national security teams, are rethinking what Iranian could do with nuclear capabilities or nuclear weapons in the future. And that may produce some changes. But at the same time, as I said also before, there is a sense of inevitability. There's a sense of pessimism of our ability as a Western alliance to deal with the nuclear program. So it is, it is complicated, but I think uh, what is happening in Europe nowadays will at least mean something for the future of the European relation with Iran as well, for the better. Indeed. Mr. Olgan, there, there is another analogy from the Russia and Ukraine uh, war vis-a-vis uh, -vis the situation between Israel and uh, Iran at this stage, at least. Uh, the Germans have uh, already announced the acceleration of uh, increasing their defense budget, 100 billion euro, uh, in addition to their 2% uh, defense budget. This is uh, obviously significant because the, the defense budget is far uh, uh, bigger than any European country and Russia itself also. Uh, Israel now is in the process of uh, force buildup, military buildup. The Americans are providing uh, Israel with uh, the, the various technologies, or at least most of the technologies that Israel uh, wants and uh, seeks to acquire. Uh, is this now a arms race uh, de facto when we're talking about Israel and Iran contending with each other for uh, basically thwarting or foiling each other's aspirations in this region? Well, the German case uh, is not necessarily relevant uh, because the Germans, uh, for many years, have benefited from the American defense budget. They did not have to invest in their own defense because being part of NATO and uh, having uh, foregone 
any uh, aspiration uh, to acquire nuclear weapons, which they, of course, technologically are able to do within a very short period, as is Japan. Uh, they relied on the American uh, nuclear umbrella while building up uh, their economy. So now they are um, diverting some of their resources into defense. We have to see what it means. There is uh, no direct uh, correlation between input and output. We don't know what will come out of the uh, German uh, uh, defense establishment. And as for Israel, Israel is still dependent on U.S. military assistance, even though it can do without it. But for domestic political reasons, it has chosen not to. And just take the last uh, month or so. There were several terror attacks in Israeli cities. The response has been to divert uh, the equivalent of an Israeli division, Army Division 14 battalions, from their uh, training. They train for war, war against Hamas, against Hezbollah, perhaps even against Iran, even though uh, the ground forces are not going to do most of the work. And they were now uh, diverted towards counter-terror missions. And in addition to that, it is apparent that Israel must fund more and more of its police. This will inevitably take money out of the true military budget, because everything is security, everything is national security, but you must balance the various forces. So I don't see a real arms race. What we may see is a more proactive Israeli um, policy against uh, uh, Iranian convoys going through Iraq and Syria towards Lebanon and other such uh, missions, even though it has been going on uh, for the last nine years anyway. Ever since 2013, Israel has been, first of all, a major actor in the anti-Iranian um, policy in Syria and also against ISIS. It has been kept mostly secret, but Israel should be credited with doing a lot of the work against ISIS. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program. There is less than five minutes uh, to the end. So I'd like to uh, ask uh, quite a simple question, but it's a complex answer uh, to to satisfy General Kupelvassil. Uh, is Israel prepared to, to take the extra mile? Um, based on its statements and, and uh, voiced uh, statements over the course of, of many years at this stage uh, with regard to preventing Iran, properly preventing Iran, from accumulating enough visa material uh, for the purpose of acquiring uh, a first nuclear bomb, it's very difficult to say. You, you, you never feel that you are already well prepared. You always want to prepare yourself a little bit more because you're, always something is missing and the situation is changing. The enemy is uh, getting uh, better equipped and uh, has all kinds of uh, new capabilities. So uh, we have to keep learning the situation and preparing ourselves better. But basically, yes, Israel at the time from uh, 2002, uh, to study this uh, threat, to get prepared to confront it, and uh, had in, in mind exactly this kind of scenario, that the Iranians are getting closer to having the capability to produce a nuclear weapon, and then you have to act. 
so I think that uh, since we are getting very close to this uh, situation, uh, Israel should be or probably is uh, well prepared, can be better prepared. Dr. Bardahi? Well, from abroad, I think uh, what you need is a kind of positive and unclear narrative. So everyone, friends and, uh, and enemies understand that Israel is prepared to do whatever it, it takes to prevent Iran from having, from having nuclear weapons in their hands. And uh, I, I think it's a combination of political will and uh, military capability. And also it's a, it's a combination of your offensive capability versus the defensive capability of Iran and the, and the play in the region as well. No? And uh, so things are moving. I wish that Israel is prepared uh, and uh, if, it, if needed, because everything fails, uh, we act on time uh, decisively. The, the model for uh, an Israeli uh, successful action uh, is the June 5th, 1967 strike against first the Egyptian Air Force and then the uh, Syrian and Jordanian and Iraqi Air Forces. And the secret of that success was that uh, the Israeli Air Force and intelligence community very cleverly analyzed the enemy as a system. They knew where it does not have hardened shelters. They knew when the uh, Egyptian pilots uh, take a break from the morning uh, patrols to have breakfast and so on and so forth. So Israel will probably analyze the Iranian system, which includes, of course, command and control, the various platforms, the, um, uh, what Khamenei and uh, the other leaders are doing at any particular time, their vulnerabilities without going into details. So if uh, the need arises, one uh, can count without being too complacent on, the, on Israeli ingenuity to find the answer. Uh, Dr. Bardaki, just shortly, are the Iranians convinced? Is there a credible military threat emanating from the United States, Europe, and Israel at this stage, or is it exclusively Israel? I don't think the Iranians really believe that Americans will do anything militarily speaking. Sincerely, I think the current administration has no credibility at all, not only in Iran, but in the region in general, and even in Europe, for taking any decisive action. I don't know what the Iranians think about Israel, but uh, uh, at the end, it will be the only actor really to contemplate any action against the nuclear program. It is very symbolic that the sky above Rafael's uh, head is a sunset, and we are talking about the sunset clauses of the yeah. new JCPOA. Indeed. Well, uh, General Kukovasa, one word. One it, word. Uh, we have to remember it's not only Iran. Iran and its proxies. Uh, the entire axis that we have to be prepared to confront. Hezbollah, Qatar, Hezbollah, going all the way to the Houthis in Yemen. But this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank General Kupelwasser, Dr. Barahi, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.